Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at a pitch deck from MedMen. To help us do that, it's Katrina Glugowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. And I thought MedMen went down. Is this uh, an attempt at resurrection? I don't think this is their their resurrection. I think that they've been uh, around um, for now. But maybe that's a, a, a you know futuristic thought. Maybe they're looking through your crystal ball because who knows how long they're going to be in business. We're going to dive into this pitch deck, kind of see what's going on with uh, multi-state operators. It's a big driver for investment. So this is going to give us an idea of what the the big dogs were doing, you know, the, the leaders in the space for a while until, um, you know, the CEOs couldn't quite afford their $26 million mansions anymore because, hey, every entrepreneur has a $26 million mansion. Let's see how they did it. <laughs> so their strategy, I kind of like how they just jump right off to that, focusing on cannabis retail and e-commerce, expanding retail delivery prep platforms in states like Nevada, California, Florida, Illinois, Massachusetts, and executing on new stores in Boston, Miami, Chicago, San Francisco, all the hot places. They reported a $46 million revenue in the fiscal quarter. Uh, that's third quarter of 2020, despite the impacts from the uh, pandemic. Impressive. Yeah, that's not bad. $46 million in in the quarter. So that's not bad over three months. That's uh pretty good. A lot of the states actually, um, I think, uh, I can't remember which state, but there's some states that are only pulling in like 80 million uh, in a month. So to be able to have one store pull in 46 million, not too bad. Agreed. All right. Executing on their turnaround plan, like right off the bat, they're like, we know that you know. (laughs) (laughs) So they announced that the lender landlord support agreements to defer 32 million in cash commitments over the next 12 months. So it looks like they reduced their corporate selling generated general and administrative costs for third quarter, same period by 51%. And so basically that means that they haven't been ordering pencils. They've been laying people off. They've been trying to thin things out just like pretty much every, uh, every other publicly traded company. And then their enhanced leadership and governance, they, uh, there's an appointment for retail focus executive team. They obviously had to get rid of all of those guys that started to siphon money off for their own enjoyment. Very Dan Blazarian, very um, fraudulent, if you ask me. If I was a shareholder, that would not be kosher to me. Not, that would be very cool. Their engagement with uh, their other partners to guide the company through the turnaround and for independent board of directors. So obviously a huge shakeup and turnaround. This is interesting. Uh, new CEO, new COO, a new partner, new board. Um, this is going to be interesting. Let's see if they identify who these people are. Yeah, I would probably at that point just change the name because if you're going to change everything about it, you might as well get rid of the name too. But but Josh, they already printed all those t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. All right, MedMen, leading the cannabis retailer. They got 63 store licenses, uh, various states, California, Nevada, Florida, Illinois, New York, Massachusetts. They have over 2 million in recreational transactions since January 1st of 2018 with 23 operating stores. Um, 184 million in pro forma run rate revenue with 41% year over year sales growth. 6% market share in California. It's not bad. I had taken a picture when I was down in Long Beach this is in 2018. I went down there 
to visit a client. I went into um, a rec shop and I forgot, it was actually um, a dispensary, a medical dispensary at that time. And I went in because uh, a friend was having Tommy Chong do a um, grand opening for their store. So I took some pictures. That, that picture has 2.5 million views on Google. Um, so there is some interest in, in MedMen or at least that location in Long Beach, according to the photo I uploaded. So um, people are interested in it. Well, MedMen is one of the bigger known names. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we'll see. A couple of pictures uh, from their stores that they've got. Let's see if, uh... no, they don't have the one that I took, but um, increased market share in their core states being Nevada and California, all the states that I already listed off. Um, looking at 50% U.S. population addressable for six states and 63 stores, and the majority of those in Florida. Hmm. I would assume Massachusetts would be a big one, too, because there's so many universities. Uh, there's about five universities in Boston and, you know, College Town. I would think that being somewhat close to New York, there'd be some, some flow, some tourism, but maybe just the fact that they deem cannabis non-essential is kind of delaying things. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Oh, Massachusetts has been a mess. That rollout is worse than California. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Evolution of cannabis industry on this next slide. The MedMen believes that the cannabis industry is going to resemble the market dynamics in natural food with retailers controlling the supply chain and holding the leverage. I would tend to agree with that. It's no different than Kroger, or Walgreens, uh, or um, Walmart. So looking at industry leaders from cannabis and natural foods, um, we got a CPG fragmentation, which you know is gonna be the way that the industry goes, retail, e-commerce, and private label. Interesting slide that doesn't really tell me very much. It sounds kind of like the total addressable market. Yeah, yeah, they're going to try and already compare cannabis to natural foods and alcohol. I'd probably save that for, you know, towards the end. Um, this isn't really, you know, a, a high worth slide there. Oh, here's your total addressable market. $80 billion. Woo! Gosh! There it is. What a surprise! All right. Let's skip that one. 86% of potential U.S. cannabis market is unpenetrated. So looking at beer and spirits and wine and coffee and cannabis, um, all of those things, including, you know, gambling, all of the sin stocks, as they're called, uh, do very well when things like um, this pandemic happen and the ensuing financial collapse can't keep printing trillions. Uh, although we may hit like an inflationary period like we've never had before when normally stocks would crash, they may skyrocket because it's the cleanest dirty shirt in the room. Where else are you going to put your money? So I guess we'll have to wait and see how that rolls out. Yeah. Oh boy, we bring in Warren Buffett on this one. So there's a quote from Warren Buffett about... Um, saying that he was wrong about uh, Kraft Heinz, that he thinks there's a turnaround time when the package brands are losing some ground against retailers. They made a mistake in terms of trying to push hard against certain uh, of the retailers and finding out that they weren't as strong as they thought they were. House brands, private labels is getting stronger and it's going to keep getting bigger. Try to think of the billion dollar brands that have been created in the food and their private label. 
So that's according to Warren Buffett on an interview with CNBC last year. Not talking about cannabis though. No, just the, they're trying to make that analogy. And we've made that same comment on the podcast before that cannabis will be more of an ingredient and less of a, a brand issue where CBD or THC or other cannabinoids would just be an ingredient like vitamin C and cannabis as a whole won't be about horticulture. It's just going to be about the brands. So, uh, you know, they're jumping ahead, but I'm not sure they necessarily need to this early on in the pitch deck because it's not changing my mind about investing in them. Increasing market share through expansion of footprint. So again, the California, Florida, Illinois, Nevada, New York, Massachusetts, wanting to get all four corners of, of the U.S. and as many stores as it can. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, nothing is um, tickling my fancy yet, Josh. This is kind of rote stuff. So hopefully it gets better after 21 pages. <laughs> There's regulations in core markets providing significant first mover advantages. I absolutely agree with them on that. But again, being uh, a multi-state operator, they're, they're having to buy a lot of this, these retail shops uh, at all time highs. So commercial prices haven't been this high and yet people aren't really going in to experience that there's a lot of online ordering. And so is that going to hold out? Is that going to be enough for consumers to not look for the best offer or best deal? So if they're not all about price, um, can they compete when they have to purchase the land and purchase the building at all time highs and defer tens of millions of dollars for the next year because they can't afford it. I mean, is that really the, the smart thing to do? Uh, we'll see. Let's, let's see if we get some financials, Josh. <laughs> no, well, yeah. All right. So California ultimate prize is uh, fifth largest economy in the world behind the U S I think it's like U S China, uh, Germany, Japan, California. Um, so huge marketplace. There's 40 million people, fifth largest economy in the world. Oh, look at that. They just said that. Great. 11 billion in cannabis market and leader in uh, retail innovation. Yeah. So California footprint, they're kind of all over the West coast, but um, not so much in rural areas or the Emerald triangle. So they're very, very concentrated. That could be good for distribution though, Josh, actually. I was just thinking about drop shipping and how that could work out for, you know, drone deliveries in rural countries or <laughs> counties, um, you know, but that's, that's long-term. They're trying to get to millions of first-time customer cannabis users. Um, there's some metrics here looking at thousands of SKUs in California, 175 vendors, over 15 plus product categories, 3,000 square feet and technology enabled iPads to, I don't know, look at the products, I guess, since there's no longer mason jars, we can open it up and smell it. <laughs> the good old days are gone. Right. Hmm. All right. We got some financials. Serves the trusted gateway to millions of first time cannabis users. So looks like um, they're looking at Quarterly revenue um, keeps going up and up, but at what cost? So um, I guess revenue is going up, but maybe they're, you know, not ordering pencils and, and other lame uh, ideas to uh, 
cut back on expenses, but regardless, uh, third quarter 2020 highlights, that's 19% year-over-year increase with 11 locations. Average transaction size was $75, and that's because um, the minimums for delivery in California are, I think, 65 bucks. So people are going to be ordering uh, just enough to get that delivered, and then total retail revenue is almost $30 million. Now, there, there's two statistics that are interesting here. Um, and they have 19% year-over-year increase in the third quarter of California. Okay, great. Is that sto same store sales increased 20%? Or is that because they opened a new location? And then the second, uh, which you've already pointed on, the average transaction size of $75, um, and you mentioned the $65 for uh, delivery, which is legal in California. I think that average transaction size is actually fairly low, Josh. Uh, and when you put that much money into a hoity-toity fancy retail store, you're going to want a much larger transaction size than $75. We see average transaction sizes of $120 to $150 in other states. And if it is in fact delivery that is driving this average transaction cost, why do they put so much money into these hoity-toity stores if the majority of their consumers are delivery? So while these numbers look good on a chart, you have to ask why these numbers are the way they are, Josh. Josh, you're on mute. All right, that works better. Good point about same store sales. Obviously, if you open up more sales, then it looks like you're generating more revenue than you really are. Um, wanted to kind of look at average basket size. So California um, was $56 in January and jumped to uh, $70 in August. And this is from headset uh, comparing about 10 different markets. So it looks like MedMen is able to grab more uh, per sale than other places. And maybe they are the low cost provider. Um, Colorado is around the mid 60s. Nevada's a little bit higher. Now there's tourism. So it was as much as $94 back in May. Washington is really low. We're like in the 30s because we've always been deemed essential. People are all about convenience and they go in a lot more often. Uh, whereas up, our friends up in Canada are in the $40 ranges between Alberta and, and British Columbia. On average, people are only buying about $40 because... Um, I'm assuming they have black market friends, the illicit market, uh, or they're just not going out as often. Versus Illinois, any kind of new rollout, Illinois and Massachusetts saw $123 and $104 respectively because people are trying out new things and or hoarding because it's closer to Massachusetts than we are. And maybe they're like, oh no, they might not be deemed essential. So let's just hoard up. Whereas Oregon is very similar to Washington at, uh, you know, 38 to $43 on average, because again, like it's been deemed essential from day one and they can go out and it's convenient. There's stores everywhere. So um, not too bad. I think it's middle range, but there's definitely better places to go. Like we mentioned Nevada or Illinois 
or Massachusetts. Yeah, I wouldn't be bragging about a $75 cart. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's not uh, as good as it could be, but um, maybe this is better than the other competition. Don't know. Or maybe the Med Men t-shirts were discounted for $9.99. <laughs> so Med Men did reduce their overall corporate overhead by 50% since the third quarter. And that's not easy to do. So um, it probably helped when they fired their COO and CEO and made them sell their $26 million mansion. That's definitely going to help save money. <laughs> uh, maybe they stopped printing t-shirts too. But or yeah. maybe they returned the 10 Lamborghinis. Yeah. That's a farce. I don't know that they had 10 Lamborghinis. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Not as crazy as Dan Blazarian of Ignite, who spent $50 million on marketing. Most of that was to pay models to follow him around and feed him grapes. Um, <laughs> that guy is is absolutely ridiculous to the industry. Dan Mizarian, uh is a joke. And well... I think MedMen is, is pretty close to that as well. So capital market overview, they are publicly traded uh, on the OTC. I'm not sure if they're DTC eligible. They've got a five digit symbol ending in F, um, which isn't great. Um, but they've got a lot of shares outstanding and not really anybody um, investing. I think maybe they're speculating. Mm -hmm. So lenders, landlords, Looks like they announced a, a support agreement to defer 32 million, like we mentioned. So some of that is secured senior convertible notes, um, terms and real estate partners trying to help them out. Uh, restructuring basically is, is the deal. So over the next year, they're going to not make payments. Um, that's not a good sign. Actually, it's not a good sign financially, but it is an it shows the effort of this company to turn it around. And quite frankly, if these lenders and landlords did not believe in the overall success of this company, they would not have deferred. So it's a plus and a minus. But remember, Josh, this is an investment pitch deck. And if you write MedMen a check today, you are behind everyone else on this list. And that is a significant list to be behind. Mm -hmm. Well, that is the end of the pitch deck. And so with that, I guess we should pull up our seven tips to a successful investment deck. And see, uh, yeah, let's see. see make it. All right. So number one, identify the business plan goals. Number two, do they know their audience? Number three, have they understood the market? Four, did they identify needs and roadblocks? Number five, do they know what sets the business apart? Six, did they introduce a team and products? And number seven, is there a summary with a call to action? So starting off at number one, what do you think? Did they identify the business plan goal? Yes. Okay, why? Uh, they're going to grow into these markets and they've deferred all their payments to their landlord. Mm. Wasn't, wasn't that enough? Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do they know their audience? It, 
they knew their investor audience absolutely because they were hitting on uh, the buzzwords, the catchphrases that investors like. But I do question an upscale retail location um, when maybe they should just sort of downgrade those into a pleasant experience instead of a premium experience and focus on delivery, Josh. Yeah. So uh, half a point. Half a point. And then number three, understanding the market. One of the things that I really like about MedMen is they have identified the key states and they are doubling down in the key states. And I, I think that the, they get a point for that. I agree with that. Needs and roadblocks. I didn't see either of those. I would think that, um, you know, the pandemic would be one issue. Competition would be another. Uh, restructuring is, is difficult. I didn't really see anything. Outside of the disclosure of the turnaround and the landlord and lender uh, deferrals, they did not talk about the roadblocks at all. For example, they cite that they have 35 licenses in Florida, but only three locations are open. Why? Is it lack of capital? Fine, that's great. Um, is it regulatory delays? It, it doesn't, there, there's not a lot of information there, Josh. So I don't think that they did very well on that. And then how about knowing what sets the business apart? There's a lot of multi-state operators, um, but I didn't really see any competition slides and how they differentiate themselves. Are they a low cost provider? Um, they did talk about how they have a thousand plus um, or 15 plus product categories. And it just didn't really go into the depth I would have liked to, you know, there's a lot of, of local stores here in Washington state and um, Vancouver, BC and Portland. And those individual stores kind of draw people in. But once you start having, you know, someone like Medman with multiple locations, at least six or more, I think that's the cap in Washington. What's going to set them apart? I think they're aiming for this premium retail experience that really, and, and of course, most people in the industry know the name MedMen, uh, but I do think they're aiming for this premium experience. And Josh, here, here in sunny Washington, you know that uh, the premium experience just didn't fly very well. Uh, Diego Pelliser went down. Uh, their premium aspect proved too expensive. Uh, and in California, they may have 6% of the market, but uh, who else, is, who else hold, holds more than them? Uh, they didn't really talk about that. And that, that concerns me because, hey, we have 6% of the California market sounds good, but then you have somebody else who has 45% of the market and you're actually the smallest person, so. They said being first to the market was a big deal, but I think that, you know, if anyone remembers Betamax versus VHS or, you know, for the new kids, maybe it's the um, HD or HD uh, DVD versus um, whatever their competition was. 
Um, there's always people who come in first in technology, but they don't always last. And so obviously when you have to fire the founding CEO and CEO, uh, there's some issues there. Um, but I don't know, are we going to give them a, a point or half a point for knowing what sets the business apart? Okay. Or zero. I mean, at, at this point, uh, I'll give them a half because I had coffee this morning and I want to be nice. Oh, she's feeling nice today, folks. All right. <laughs> Introducing the team, didn't see that. Um, they just talked about firing the team. Well, they didn't say that. They just said restructuring. But uh, we don't have teams. They did talk a lot about their store. We'll, we'll assume that's their quote-unquote product. Um, so is that half a point? No. They no. get zero here. Zero. They get zero here because they didn't introduce the team at all. Mm -hmm. And that is, I even said that I was looking forward to seeing who is going to turn this company mm -hmm. around. Uh, and that is a big failure for me uh, because the company either was founded with um, bad choices or made bad choices with their hires. And that happens. It's not insurmountable, but they didn't come in and say, Joey and Sally are going to turn this company around and they have the skill sets to do it believe us, we have experience, utter failure. And uh, when you talk about a turnaround, you really need to drill home on the people. And what's the product? Do they sell MedMen pre-rolls? I don't know. Do they sell MedMen t-shirts? Yeah, I saw it in the front window of one of their stores. Uh, but what is their product? They never talked about their product um, their product being a retail location, okay. They also talked about vertical integration, okay. They talked about white label opportunities, uh, okay. But they never told me what they are actually doing. Uh, and we got a lot of pictures of fancy retail locations. Okay, what are you selling in those fancy retail locations? How are you getting to that $75 cart price? Is that MedMen products or are, are, are they buying Willie Reserve and Chong's Choice uh, from the MedMen retailer, which has a higher cost of goods sold? So I, they get zero there, Josh, I'm sorry. Works for me. And then they, I don't think they created a summary, definitely didn't have a call to action. They didn't have an ask. Uh, so I'm not sure I would be able to give them a point for that. What about you? There was no ask there. There was no, I didn't even see if you have questions, call this 1-800 number. I, I didn't see anything. All right. Well, that's three out of seven leaves, I guess. So that's a 43%. So we've seen worse. We've definitely seen better. Not too shabby though. I think that they could truly turn this pitch deck around and focus on what uh, needs to be done with the company in an honest and open way and break down the revenue sources a little bit better. So if they're selling MedMen branded products and they have a 76% uh, margin on those products. Those are, that would be what I'd be looking for. But Josh, in all honesty, the, the biggest failure for me was the lack of a single name that I can Google and find out who these people are. 
Yeah, that's problematic because when you have a turnover like that, you want to know that the people in charge aren't going to go out and buy a $26 million mansion in uh, Beverly Hills like the previous one. So it, it, it's all about respect and um, awareness and experience. Who are you bringing in? They definitely didn't clear that up. I'm really nervous about the general sales and administrative costs being reduced by 50%. That's really, really hard to operate as either an independent um, you know, franchisee owner or even the general manager of whatever store to try and operate with half of the available funds that you did the previous year is very difficult. And it's an incredibly high turnover industry, but tenders always, well, not always, but very, very often you know, will we'll leave. Uh, if they're not treated well, they'll just go to another uh, high, um, high transaction store. So if you can't keep your, your best employees, um, that's an issue. And so reducing the sales uh, and administrative costs by 50% is without even kind of going into how they did that uh, is a red flag to me. Or they were so top heavy to begin with, with overspending on things like houses and cars and, and that type of stuff that they were so grossly grossly mismanaged that they they aren't even talking about pencils they're talking about uh corporate jets <laughs> <laughs> that's great well, i guess we'll have to see if they ended up uh staying in business or not there could be somebody that comes in out of nowhere from uruguay and ends up buying them we have no idea and i think there's gonna be stupid money coming out of nowhere as people don't really know what else to do with uh money because everything is so inflated um and you know, with the lack of other options, we could see what I'm calling stupid money come into the industry and just gobble stuff up at uh, ridiculous valuations. So we'll have to see if they uh, stay afloat, if they crash, or if they somehow become uh, revived. Um, they may come, you know, out of the ashes like a phoenix and, and soar again. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see, Josh. All right. I'm going to thank my guest, Katrina Gugowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.